everybody, it is Friday, January 18th, 2019, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Azalek, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. We've had a long week of stories coming out of the North American International Auto Show. That's the Detroit Auto Show. And uh, this episode's going to kind of serve as a wrap-up for the last straggling bits of information, some interesting perspectives, and uh, some thoughts on a particular model of car that I think really personally surprised me as the standout debut uh, for the 2019 Detroit Auto Show. So we'll talk about all of that uh, in general. We'll do the usual thing where I send it off to a bump, throw in an ad break, and then uh, get to the stuff. But uh, before we do that, I just want to thank each and every one of you for following along this week, listening to these episodes. Um, We do do this for free. It's out there on Apple iTunes podcast. It's on Spotify. It's on Google Play podcast and so much more. So if you like what you hear, subscribe, give it a rating, share it with your friends. I really appreciate it. Uh, Personal goal for me for next year is to potentially try to see if we can get some press credentials at some of these auto shows, try to get some uh, more in-depth thoughts and opinions with some physical touches uh, on some of these things because that would be super duper great. So with all that in mind, guys, after the bump and the ad break, we'll talk about the new Ford F-150. So earlier this week, a story kind of broke and has been confirmed by a couple different outlets at this point, but it sounds like... The next iteration of the F-150, whether it is yet another mid-cycle refresh or an all-new F-150, will be including a good bit of electrification into the platform going forward. Uh, What that does mean is that, at least at point number one, there will be a hybrid F-150 made available. Um, It is important to note that the Ford F-150 hybrid would not be the first hybrid pickup truck to market. Chevy did it about a decade ago with a hybrid Silverado that used a uh, mild hybrid setup that wasn't particularly well-liked, but GM did offer a two-mode system on some of their SUVs that were based on the same chassis. Uh, Ram currently offers a standard hybrid system uh, on their 3.6 liter V6 powered F- or 1500 pickup trucks, which just won North American pickup truck of the year. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I think Ford here, they, they've got an interesting case to be made. Uh, they do offer hybrid systems on the upcoming Lincoln Aviator and the Ford Explorer um, that will likely probably be what we see adapted to this F-150. Uh, it sounds as though they are two-mode systems that are using electric power to boost not only the efficiency of these turbocharged V6s, uh, but also increase the total out- power output, giving them massive amounts of horsepower and torque. I think in the Aviator, it's like 415 horsepower and like 600 pound-feet of torque or something like that. It's an absolutely insane insane amount of power. So in theory, potentially, maybe this F-150 hybrid could be one of the most powerful pickup trucks for sale out on the market today. What I think is going to be really interesting, at least in terms of the hybrid model, would be whether or not Ford ends up doing a design similar to what Toyota has unveiled with their four-wheel drive systems for both the Toyota Prius and for the Toyota RAV4. And both of those models, uh, the cars are traditional front-wheel drive hybrids, but there are small electric motors that add about 150 pounds to the vehicle overall uh, that are attached to the rear axle. 
and at low speeds, I think it's like up to like 7 or 10 miles per hour, uh, that motor can be engaged to power those rear wheels and give more traction to the vehicle uh, from a standstill. And then at higher speeds, um, up to like 40 some odd miles per hour, that motor can be engaged to increase the stability and handling of the vehicles. Uh, whether or not Ford would do that with the F-150, I don't know. I don't know how long in the design uh, elements would be. You know, if they already have off-the-shelf parts that, you know, handle some things like this, I'd be willing to bet more than likely Ford is going to use some off-the-shelf parts and designs, which is totally fine because these systems sound like they're very capable. Uh, but thinking about it just as a mental exercise, an F-150 that primarily powers the rear wheels, which is in general most efficient and how most drivers drive their vehicles nine times out of ten with a small weight increase off the front axle, having that low-end torque from zero on that front axle to help with grip in low traction situations or to help when uh, towing things, stuff like that, I think could be an interesting thing. But uh, we're going to have to wait and see if that's what Ford ends up deciding to do. Where things get a little more interesting is in the aspect of an all-electric F-150. After all, at least currently, nobody offers a high-production uh, manufactured electric pickup truck here in the United States. Tesla has said that they are working on an all-electric pickup, but as of now, we have seen no sign of any forward progress, any confirmation of what it would look like, what kind of specifications would have. Uh, so we're basically waiting for an all-new electric Tesla pickup truck uh, to do something. Rivian has announced an electric pickup truck. I think it's called the T-1000 or the T-2000. Um, at this point, I would consider it vaporware. It's a company that largely doesn't exist, and if it doesn't have a big T emblem or a blue oval on the front as a pickup truck, I just... I wouldn't count it, at least at this point right now. Now, where things get a little more complicated with Ford, and at least in terms of electrification and in the idea of a pure electric pickup truck, is how much of this is done in-house. After all, the F-150 is the most popular vehicle sold inside the United States. Uh, it is one of the most popular vehicles sold anywhere in the world. Uh, Ford builds, or builds bajillions of these every year, uh, and not doing this design and development in-house uh, is, I think, would be kind of a bad... I don't want to say it would be a bad sign, but I think it would be a bad sign to general F-150 buyers. Um, so if they were to use Volkswagen uh, electric motors and Volkswagen batteries, you know, I can't exactly say that Americans would jump on that as the greatest opportunity uh, for an all-electric pickup truck. That being said, Ford hasn't exactly had the greatest track record uh, with all-electric vehicles. The electric focus kind of fell flat on its face. Yes, it was a compliance vehicle uh, for the West Coast and East Coast of the United States. Uh, but nevertheless, the car just never really met up to the expectations that were set for it by uh, Alan Mulally uh, while he was still in his tenure as the CEO of Ford. Uh, this new powertrain, if Ford's developing it, you know, they have the capability to do some cool stuff, but I'm not exactly getting my hopes up. But, you know, with a Ford motor, or excuse me, with a Volkswagen motor, with a Volkswagen set of batteries, um, there are certainly some interesting possibilities. It sounds like the, uh, what do I call it, the, I always keep wanting to call it the IMEV, which is the name of Mitsubishi, but the, uh, the ID Buzz, uh, whatever they end up naming that when it first hits the streets, their golf-sized car. Um, it's supposed to have around 200 horsepower for that electric motor. So, you know, if with this uh, F-150, if it's got two or more of those motors, 
it's going to be a pretty powerful pickup truck, and it stands to assume that with all that torque from zero RPM as electric motors operate, it should be very capable of towing large amounts of weight, uh, being pretty capable in limited uh, grip scenarios. Uh, it, it's going to be cool to see how Ford is able to make this work. I think what gets interesting to me also as an engineering nerdy guy who's interested in some of those strange details is going to be how Ford handles pickup truckifying the idea of a battery being built into the chassis of this truck and how much this new platform is going to have to be built around that idea. Um, you know, electric batteries are very temperamental things and pickup trucks are designed to work in some of the harshest conditions out there that any vehicle has to deal with. So whether that is high or low temperatures, uh, whether that is, you know, in very dry or very wet climates, you know, whether that truck is being partially submerged in standing water or, you know, freezing in some other things, uh, this battery is going to have to take a lot of abuse. And, you know, if it's going to be in rocks, you know, it's going to have to deal with the potential uh, puncture from rocks and things like that. So whether it's going to be skid plates or this battery is mounted vertically or something along those lines, I don't really know what it's going to be, but I think Ford engineers really have uh, an interesting line to kind of cut out for this truck uh, to slide into this platform and what kind of impact that has on the gasoline-powered engine option or the hybrid option I think is going to be really cool too. So I'm really excited to see what happens with this truck. Um, I'm really excited about the future of an all-electric pickup truck. And, you know, if this F-150 has, you know, 300-ish miles of range and it's less than $70,000, I think they're really kind of hitting the sweet spot for a lot of people. So I'd be really uh, interested to hear what you guys have to say. Would you guys be interested in buying an all-electric F-150 from Ford? Uh, give us a ring here at Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN. I'd be curious to know what you have to say. So I want to kind of go over a little bit of some general thoughts about the Detroit Auto Show and kind of where we seem to be at at the start of 2019 and where things maybe potentially should be going as we go into the rest of the year. I think the biggest takeaway for me from the Detroit Auto Show is that car makers are trying. They're trying to make stuff that's more green, stuff that's more electrified. Uh, they're hedging more bets on EVs and autonomy uh, to help make vehicles that are more environmentally friendly and more safe for people who commute long distances each day. Uh, we see that with cars like the Nissan IM's concept that has some pretty interesting autonomous uh, things going on. Uh, both it and the Infiniti QX Vision concept are electrified. Uh, Cadillac showed off their first EV concept. Admittedly, it was only a photo, uh, but it hopefully points to a more electrified future for Cadillac and GM as a whole. Um, but really, I think the biggest takeaway is that the market is moving really quick. And by really quick, I mean that we know that SUVs and crossovers are where the money is at. We know that that's where people are trying to buy cars. And we're seeing lots of brands introduce new SUVs and crossovers at a much more rapid pace. And we're seeing the SUV and crossoverification of more regular vehicles. Um, 
that isn't a huge deal in every aspect of everything, you know. I admittedly like the Nissan Kicks an awful lot, which is nothing more than a slightly higher riding uh, Nissan Versa Note. I, you know, the new Kia Soul is unoffensive in every way possible, but in, and it adds a new SUV-like kind of hard plastic body cladding thing going forward, and they're going to sell a bazillion of those because they look like mini crossovers. But where it gets concerning is with brands like Ford and Chrysler and GM, where as much as we know that they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on new crossovers, SUVs, and the changing ways that the market's going, uh, we don't have any material ideas of what that actually means. So speaking just about Ford for a moment, you know, we talked about an electric F-150, that's pretty cool. Um, but we know that they're getting rid of all of their cars in their lineup. And that is still an incredibly worrying prospect to me when, at the flick of a switch, gasoline could suddenly be $115 a barrel again, and nobody's going to want to spend the money on a crossover or an SUV that doesn't get over 40 miles per gallon. Now, Ford says that we don't really have a lot to worry about when they say that that's gonna, they're not going to have any normal cars in their lineup. It's going to be stuff like, you know, Subaru Outbacks and, you know, uh, Subaru Imprezas and things like that going forward. And, you know, that's relatively fine, um, but they are going to need to have some level of normal car in their lineup. That problem is just the same for Ram, who, although they announced their new heavy-duty pickup truck line, we still don't have... Uh, an FCA product that is a quote-unquote normal car. Uh, the Fiat 500 has been around for what feels like 20 years. The Fiat 500L is a horrible car by any stretch of measure. Uh, as much as the Jeep Renegade and the Jeep Compass are selling particularly well, and Jeep and Ram on the whole are supplying all of the cash the FCA needs to be solvent, uh, the reality of the matter is that Fiat in Europe is basically dead. Uh, and that Ram, or excuse me, not Ram, Dodge and Chrysler outside of the Pacifica and Durango have no need to really exist altogether. Uh, the 200 and the Dart got killed years ago, and they said that there would be a replacement, and yet we've still not seen anything. And I feel like if I'm Dodge or if I'm Chrysler, having some relatively affordable you know, even slightly crossovery type car in your lineup would do an awful lot to make your brands, one, more appealing, two, more youthful, and bring in more buyers to your portfolio who could then eventually graduate on to your larger crossovers and SUVs as they get better jobs, get a better education, or whatever the hell your measurement is for doing better in life. Uh, you know, I really feel like some kind of Kia Soul-sized crossovery hatchback type thing with a Dodge Girl up front would do pretty well for the company, and yet we've seen nothing of the sort for them going forward. Uh, over back at Ford for one moment, it's kind of shocking that for a company that's investing so much more money in crossovers and SUVs, and yes, we did get uh, news on the new uh, Aviator back in LA, and we got the new Explorer here in Detroit, uh, we still haven't heard anything about the Bronco. You would think coming off the heels of the Gladiator announcement in Los Angeles that you'd want to have this thing ready to go in Detroit, and we've seen nothing. And that is really crazy to me that for a truck that is literally going to print money for the company, they're going to be, not be able to make enough of these for the marketplace, at least based on how the Wrangler's doing right now. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't announce it at your home car show. 
that seems really crazy to me. Um, but we still have Chicago and New York up ahead of us here in North America. So those ones tend to cater to slightly different aspects of the market. And maybe potentially we will see something like that announced. The hottest mess, I think, coming out of Detroit is still General Motors. General Motors really didn't show anything off outside of those Cadillac announcements. And that is particularly scary to me. Uh, they announced all these plant closures. They announced that they're getting rid of a bunch of different models. Uh, news just broke earlier today that it sounds like the Chevy Sonic is going to be going away after the Lake Orion plant uh, might be due for closure as well. And that really spells a disaster for low-end cheap models available in their lineup. With the Sonic gone, with the Cruze gone, with the Volt gone, with the Impala and LaCrosse gone, uh, those are five cars that just won't exist. And the last car in GM's lineup, at least what I can think of that isn't the Regal or isn't a Cadillac, will be the Chevy Spark. And the Chevy Spark is made over in Korea, and they import them here to the U.S., and as much as the Spark is a relatively fun little car, it's an interesting little runabout, you're not going to bring in a lot of buyers for the Chevy Spark. You need something a little bit bigger than that to bring in those buyers. And they're just not here. And it just it just seems like such a huge shortcoming in my brain to not have products ready to go for when gas gets more expensive, to not have products that are ready to go for a global marketplace, to not have products ready to go that appeal to younger buyers. If millennials are killing off everything, where are the models in GM's lineup that appeal specifically to millennials? There's nothing. And it's shocking to me that they didn't use Detroit to roll something out to be at least a little more exciting uh, in terms of this marketplace. You know, this news kind of came out partway through the auto show this week that the Trailblazer might be coming back. Uh, and then another uh, article got posted that said that maybe it wouldn't be called the Trailblazer, um, but would instead be called the uh, Tracker. And those are nameplates that haven't been used in a really, really long time. And they want to have some kind of small crossover that sits in between the size of the tracks and the Equinox. And I just go, holy shit, what the fuck is going on at GM? Like, what? I just don't understand how anybody thinks this is an appealing move to them as a company. People want small cars. People want efficient cars. People want cars that can get 40 plus miles per gallon easy peasy. They are literally going to be seeding huge segments of the marketplace to Honda, to Toyota, to Kia and Hyundai that they're never going to be able to get back. And if gas gets expensive, a Chevy Trax or a Tracker or whatever the hell they call this thing that's in between those things is not going to do what needs to get done. And this is just horrifying to me that they have nothing. And granted, like I said, there's still the Chicago Auto Show. There's still the New York Auto Show. They might have the new Corvette to show off. Maybe they've got some kind of uh, you know, car that's going to replace the Sonic and the Cruise altogether and just kind of sit over both ends of the segment. But... You know, time time's ticking, man. They they they've got to come up with some solutions, and they're just not here. And that really concerns me, uh, heading into the rest of 2019. And I think really just focusing less on the American automakers and just the market on the whole, um, 
it's going to be interesting to see how automakers handle that idea that you need to have those backup models. You know, Kia and Hyundai rolled out some pretty big updates to their bread and butter models this year. Um, you know, and they're also launching some big SUVs and they, they have these things planned for a long time and they've got their EV mark models ready to go too. You know, they're, they're future proof at this point. Honda, same kind of thing. Toyota, same kind of thing. And it's, it's interesting seeing that these Asian markets are ready to roll in case whatever happens. Uh, but the Germans to some extent, and especially the Americans are really exposed right now to instabilities in the market and, We've got a lot, a lot of a year left to kind of sort those kinds of things out. But if I was an investor, I would definitely be a little bit worried about what didn't get shown at Detroit um, ahead of Chicago and New York. So we could see some things change. Let's just be a little bit positive there. I think there are some smart people in line, especially GM with Mark Russ taking over a lot of vehicle development stuff um, that could turn some things around. But I'm not completely holding my breath at this point in time for the big three uh, heading out of the Detroit Auto Show. So last up in this final segment, I wanted to talk about the Hyundai Palisade and more specifically the Kia Telluride and just how impressive it is that Kia and Hyundai have been able to pull these vehicles seemingly out of a hat in the past two years and make these vehicles that although they are generally types of cars that I do not like I actively would avoid owning on a personal level I can't stop thinking about them because they look so good and they seem to do things that I might be interested in um if you haven't been paying attention the Hyundai uh Palisade and the Kia Telluride are the new full-size crossovers that are being made available from each brand uh, a little bit later in this year. Um, they are based off of the Hyundai Santa Fe and the Kia Sorento. Um, these are larger three-row units that will very comfortably fit, uh, or very comfortably fit uh, up to seven people uh, in most of their configurations. And as much as they are, you know, upsized chassis with off-the-shelf engines and transmissions. Uh, these vehicles are leading the way when it comes to design and engineering uh, for Kia and Hyundai that really smacks of the fact that these brands are here, they are not going away, and they are going to push other brands out of the market wherever possible. Um, speaking just of the Palisade in particular, um, the new visual style that Hyundai is rolling out on this model, um, as well as the new Santa Fe and the uh, updated Tucson, I think looks really fantastic. It's got this kind of almost Iron Man type look with these narrow headlights that look like eyes uh, with the more gaping mouth grille. I don't know. I really like the way it looks. It's executed really well, especially on the new Santa Fe. Um, but the new Palisade adds some other visual touches to both the exterior and interior that just smacks of Hyundai having this sense of purpose and being an affordable brand that is approachable but still takes the time to put in some smart touches that give it some visual flair compared to the Toyotas and Hondas that they're normally competing most against. Over at Kia, on the other hand, as a brand that is more or less the Pontiac to Hyundai's Chevrolet, they've got a lot more visual flair going on, especially with the Telluride that looks 
almost British in style and execution, and it's just absolutely stunning to me that this is a Kia product when 20 years ago, a Kia would have been a joke uh, of a car to purchase, especially in the form of a large SUV. As much as Kia doesn't want you to remember the Borrego, the large SUV that they debuted just over a decade ago, uh, that was a body-on-frame option with a big V8, uh, this new Telluride really seems to have learned a lot of mistakes from that and is really shaping itself into an option in the marketplace that sits kind of aside from where the Toyota Highlander, from where the Honda Pilot would be at. And I think it's just so smart what they've done. That boxy design looks tough, it looks a little imposing, but the overall size of the vehicle isn't outrageous. It's got a pretty powerful V6, it's got a more than adequate automatic transmission. Uh, the interior appointments of this SUV look just the same as what it is in the K900 luxury sedan. Like, it just smacks of smart design and engineering, and it really shows that Hyundai and Kia care about the cars that they're putting out in the marketplace. They're not just dumping the toy box out and saying, I've got this, here's this, there's one more thing that kind of fits your need as a buyer. You know, they were caught flat-footed by the rise of crossovers and SUVs. You know, their stock price took a huge hit in Korea. Um, they fired some of their uh, head managers of the company, and in just a few short years, they've debuted these excellent products that I think are going to be runaway hits in this segment. And when they're already tickling the interest of people like me who generally don't like crossovers and SUVs, I, that's that's just incredible to me. And, you know, I have to say that if I had the money... If I was needing something that large, I think the Kia Telluride might be the one for me. As much as I love the Honda Pilot, as much as I think the new Honda Passport is going to be great, I think the Telluride is really going to walk that line for me for being the SUV of choice going forward. And in that greenish, coppery, whatever color that they showed off in those concept, or not concept photos, but in those uh, early uh, product launch photos, Man, that is one good-looking truck. So hats off to Hyundai and Kia going forward. Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brett Eisleich, and you can follow me on Twitter at YSSMAN, or uh, check us out here on Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN. As I said up at the top of the show, these episodes are all made available for free on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including buckets, radios, uh, small children, and your pet dog. Uh, seemingly, these things are everywhere. So Spotify, iTunes, so much more. You can find it there. Give us a subscribe. Give us a rating if they take that. Share it with your friends. I'd greatly appreciate it. Um, we do other episodes of this show uh, weekly. Uh, usually on Monday or Tuesday, we get a scrap story out where I kind of focus in on a small segment of news, talk about something that I care about or have been thinking about when it comes to the auto industry. Um, sometimes they're fun, sometimes they're not. Who knows? It could always change depending on what's going on. 
Uh, we also do the salvage title car buyer's guide where we break down a segment of vehicles. I name the top three options that I think are worth your time and add a fourth mob option for flavor. It might not always be the best option, but at the very least, it's worth considering. Um, at least based on my changing views on the Hyundai Palisade and the Kia Telluride, it might be time to do a full-size crossover episode. Uh, what else is there? Well, guys, hey, uh, winter weather is finally here, kind of, sort of, uh, in Michigan and down south. So if you're in a state that's going to be getting some snow, getting some ice or anything else like that, at least here in Michigan, it's just going to be really cold weather. Uh, make sure you bundle up. Give yourself some time to drive to wherever you got to go and uh, keep your tires inflated. That's very important to, <coughs> excuse me, maintain traction out on the road. Literally, this episode is killing me, so it's about time to wrap it up. I hope you guys have a great weekend, and we will see you next week for a scrap story of the Salvage Title Podcast. See ya!